0: Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Well, Jason is in part 13 of his walk through Acts series, and today he's in Acts chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 10, in a sermon he's entitled, Given More Than Asked. Let's join Jason now in his message.
1: Well, good morning. I am Pastor Jason, and I'm the senior pastor here. We are walking through the book of Acts, and praise the Lord, we are at chapter 3. We are flying. (laughs) Today we're going to continue on looking at the book of Acts, watching, looking at Jesus at work. We're going to see Him at work again this morning in a sermon that, I, that I've entitled, Given More Than Asked. And what we're going to see today is, is we're going to see a divine healing. We're going to see the gift of healing vividly portrayed before us. And, and I don't know what you're like, but, but when I say healing, all sorts of different ideas come to my mind. And in some cases, I think of television and I think of all of that represents with all these people saying that they are indeed healing people today. But even stronger than that, when I think of healing, this is what I think of. I believe that Satan does heal. Satan does have power. And I believe that today there are many people out there using the name of Christ as just that, as just a name, as part of their ceremony even though it's Satan that's doing the work. But in Papua New Guinea, they they made no false pretenses as to who they were doing the healing in. Because they they were animists, they were spiritists. They believed that spirits were everywhere. And as a result, whenever someone got sick, there was always a spiritual cause. There was a spiritual reason as to why they were sick. And for you and I, when somebody gets sick, You think, oh, well, they need medicine, they have some sort of flu bug or or this or that. Well, in our village in Siawi, where we were missionaries for nearly 20 years, in the initial days when someone got sick and then they continued to get more and more sick, even to the point to where they couldn't rise up from, from their homes and their floors, this kind of incantation, this kind of healing ceremony would take place. And what they would do is they would figure out exactly what kind of food that particular person had eaten. And if they traced it back to something like this, which is a pandanus fruit, or seweina as they'd say in, in, in the tribal language, they would recognize, oh yes, that that spirit of that fruit has gotten this man sick. And the way that we can get him better, the way that we can heal him, is we do this Ceremony. And so they doll, doll it all up. We see with lots of feathers in there from like white, white cockatoos. And I think that's a bird of paradise feather. And, and, and then they say this special word over the guy as they're putting that back and forth over his body. And the one instance that I can remember this happening, that the, the guy didn't have that sickness. It, it seemed like what he had probably was tuberculosis. But, but you know what happened was Satan actually healed them. We had other cases where, where people would be sick and they'd do some of their old incantations and, and and Satan would again heal them. Why? Because he was ingraining it in them, right? He He had deceived them for so long that the last thing he wanted to do was to let go of them. And so, so what we saw was that the healing ceremonies that were done there, they were done in trickery, they were done in deception, but they were also done in Satan's power. And that's much different from what we're going to see today. What, what we're going to see today is the complete opposite. We're going to see something done instead of trickery, it's done in truth. Instead of in deception, it's done by God's grace. And instead of Satan's power, we're going to see God's power, Christ's power in action. So if you haven't turned there yet, please turn to to Acts chapter 3 and this account of a lame man who is healed, a man who is given more than asked. Starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire so much to be filled with awe and wonder and amazement over what You have done in our lives. That we would truly grasp the the heights and the depths of Your love And also grasp just how powerful you are. How you can do an act like this, the miraculous. Thank you for giving us your word. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the one that guides us into all truth this morning. For it's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. So what we're going to see today is... We're going to see the question, we're going to see the healing, and then finally we're going to see the commotion. But in order for us to fully grasp what's going on here, we need to think back to chapter two and what we saw in subsequent weeks, because what we're going to see here is really a reenactment. It's going to follow a very similar pattern that we saw in Acts two. And that pattern is, is first we see some sort of miraculous sign gift. And the miraculous sign gift that we saw in Acts chapter two is the sign gift of of signs, I mean, of tongues. But what we're going to see here is the miraculous sign gift isn't it of tongues, but it, it, it's of healing. And as in chapter 2, when, when, when those tongues were, were exercised, what did it do? It, it brought in a big crowd, and then a sermon was preached by Peter. Well, what we're going to see next week is the same exact thing. A, a, a big crowd is, is, is going to be gathered, and then Peter is going to preach a sermon and the result, just as we saw in chapter 2, where many come to saving faith in Christ, we're going to see the same thing this week. But we need to also recognize who is the one doing this, and and we're going to see that it's the apostles. It's not everyone was practicing this gift of healing. And I believe the reason is, is because this gift of healing ceased when the apostles ceased to exist that the reason why the apostles could do this is because it was validating the messenger. It was validating the message. Much as we, as if we looked at the Old Testament, you would see that the prophets did some of these things. Why? In order to validate who they were, that they were truly sent by God, that they were truly God's spokesmen. And then we get to the life of Christ and, and, and we see even more miracles than any other time. And why was that? That was to validate that He was indeed the Messiah. And now we come to this time and we see these miracles and we're going to see more of them. Why? Because in the same way it was validating that the apostles were indeed sent by Jesus Christ. That it wasn't their message, it wasn't their talk, it was God's message, it was Christ's talk. And that's what they had come to proclaim. I think where things get confusing is, is, is even defining w- what this healing looks like as, as far as the Bible is concerned. And, and, and what, we, what we get is, is a mixed perception of, uh, okay, well, is that really what I should construe as a biblical healing, what, what we might see today? And so I thought maybe it would be helpful for us to see exactly what biblical healing looks like from the scriptures. And we're going to see this today, most of these. First, we're going to see that that when a a biblical healing happens, it's immediate. It it isn't like the person is is healed a little bit now and then a little bit more in a day and then a little bit more. No, it's instantaneous. Right there, that's when this happens. We're also going to see that it it was a public thing. That it wasn't so much a a healing service in a church among believers. Actually, we're going to see time and time again that this takes place in in a group setting where mostly the unsaved are there. Why? Because it was like the drawing card that pulled them in so that the gospel could be proclaimed. Then then we're going to see that, it, that they also take place in just an ordinary, unplanned occasion. It wasn't something to where they gathered a great big group and said, hey, come here, we're going to do miracles today. It, it was nothing of the sort. And then it included illnesses that were untreatable by the medical community. L- Luke makes that clear today as we're going to see. We're going to see too that it was complete and it was irreversible. It, it, it didn't die over time and then you find out in so many weeks that this person will know that they're, they're back to, to being in a wheelchair or what have you. And it was undeniable. Even the critics that did not want to propagate such things, they could Not deny it had taken place because there were so many witnesses and because it came out to be true, that it was complete, that it was irreversible, and so there was no way for them to contradict it and to deny it's happening. Many of today's claims are not like that. Right? Many of today's healings that that you might see on television or this or that, they, they don't hold... They're nowhere near the magnitude of what we see in the scriptures happening in the New Testament. And I think that's because no faith healer alive today has the ability to heal like Jesus did, like the prophets did of old, or like the apostles. Now what I am not saying, and please hear me, I am not saying that God does not heal today. He most certainly does heal. It's just that when He heals today, it's an answer to prayer when a group of believers gather together and they pray, and God in His sovereign purpose and by His will and by His design, He heals them miraculously. But it doesn't happen across the board every time. Sometimes God's answer is no. But when He does answer and someone is healed, that doesn't prove that that particular person has the gift of healing as we're going to see here. What it proves is that God is faithful to answer prayer and that God is still powerful. So please don't walk away from here thinking that I that I do not believe or that Scripture doesn't be- teach that God still doesn't heal today. He does. But as you look at different occurrences, even with, with Paul talking to Timothy, instead of healing him, he tells him to take some medicine and, and, and other items like that. I believe what we need to do is... We need to have discernment. We need to be able to recognize when this particular healing is definitely of God and when this particular healing possibly might not be of God. Now, I, I know that the, my first example is very easy to determine. Well, come on, Pastor Jason. Those were animists. They weren't saved and so they had no other way to do it. Of course, that, they're into incantations and sorcery and, and this and that. Well, could it be too that there are people out there who says that that they are doing a healing and they say it, oh, in the name of Jesus Christ be healed, but they do not know our Savior? This is what it says in 1 John 4.1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, God's Word is clear that we need to be wise in determining whether someone is speaking the truth according to God's Word, and doing that which is in accordance with His will. Or if someone is actually doing something by the name of Jesus Christ, but in the power of an entirely different being, Satan. So let's unpack this. First, we're going to see, and it's going to take us a while to even get to the place to where the the, the question comes, and I don't even know that he actually finishes the question. But let's look at verse 1 as as part of the backdrop, and everything is is presented in such a way that we understand where this came from. Verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. We see first that time word now. So it, it, it's, it's correlating, it's tying in, it's linking in what happened before with what's happening now, but it doesn't tell us exactly when this happened. And, and I believe what's going on is it's, it's pointing back to what we, what we saw last week in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, where it said that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the Apostles you see Luke doesn't give us any any more of a glimpse or understanding of what exactly those miracles what exactly those signs were and so now what he what he does is he gives us an example of that he 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 lets us know okay so this is what it looked like this is an explanation of those of those miracles and 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 these signs that happened not only does he give us an explanation of of that but he, but he steers us into who was involved in this and where they were going, what time of day it was, and all these things that, that make up the, the backdrop or the setting. First we see that who? It was Peter and John. And you'll remember from back in Acts 1.13 that, that it was Peter and John that are mentioned first and second when it gives us a list of the apostles. And while all the apostles were the same as as far as their giftments and being empowered by the Lord and and having the authority as apostles there was definitely delineation between which guys were the most prominent right and Peter no doubt was the leader and and so we see that he's he's mentioned first but John was also mentioned and it maybe something you guys have never considered but did you know that Peter and John most likely were pretty good friends that they actually hung out quite a bit even before Jesus came and, 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 and met them and, and called them to be his disciples. And Luke 5.10, it says that, that John, along with his brother James and Peter, were all together because they owned a fishing business. And so he comes and he approaches them, and they all follow Christ. So no doubt they were friends. Think about this too. Okay, when Jesus raises from the dead, Mary goes to the tomb, and sees that it's empty. She comes back, and who does she talk to? She talks to Peter and John, and what do they do? Together they run for the tomb. Granted, John was a little faster than Peter, but nevertheless, they were friends. And I th- we're going to see this in Acts again, in chapter 4, that they spent time ministering together. In chapter 8, we're going to see that they traveled together. And that this gift of healing that we see being exercised here, was done by the apostles. And these two indeed were apostles. We see where they were going, where this was going to happen. They were going up to the temple. Isn't it interesting that, that in the beginning days of, of Christ's church, that these Jewish Christians continued to live in accordance with the daily worship service of their Jewish upbringing and faith? Maybe that's not weird to you, but to me that's, that's kind of strange. Why are you guys going out, especially in the third hour, which is or the ninth hour, which is around 3 p.m., that is when they would do sacrifices. You see, there was three different times where they would pray. They'd pray at 9 a.m., then they'd pray at noon, and then they'd pray again in the ninth hour at 3 p.m., and at 3 p.m. time, they, they actually did sacrifices as well. So were these guys going to offer sacrifices? No, it's, it's very delineated on exactly what they were going to do. They were going to pray. And, and John Calvin, in, in, in his commentary, he actually says this. He believed that they were going at that particular time in order not to sacrifice, but to evangelize. So that when somebody would see them not sacrifice, and they would then ask them, hey, how come you guys aren't doing a sacrifice? And they would say, behold the Lamb of God. It's Jesus Christ. He's already come. You don't need to keep doing this. Of course, that's that's totally conjecture. But the reality is that could have been the case and they weren't going to sacrifice. They were going to pray. So He he gives us all this background. All to do what? To introduce us to the man that we're going to see today. Who was given much more than asked. And a man, verse 2, who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to... Set down every day at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. So we see first he's, he's just called a man. Not very descriptive. Not the man, just a man. But to see what kind of man he was, this adjective then puts him in a different category because he was a lame man. Literally, that that means not able to move your feet. To have in, an imperfect function of your lower limbs. And so no doubt he he stood out uh, among all the other beggars. And then it gives us even more of a glimpse into who this man was and when this started, right? How, how long had he, had he been like this? Perhaps he he'd actually tripped when he was a young boy or, or this or that. No, it, it says that from his mother's womb before birth And God knew, Jesus knew exactly when this day was going to happen. And it says that he was being carried along. Why? Because he had no other option. He, he couldn't manipulate something and somehow crawl and get himself. He had, he had to go up steps and, and everything else. was impossible for him. So he was relying on someone else. He could not help himself is this not a good picture of how we are before we come to christ that we are indeed helpless that there is no way for us to approach a holy god because of our sin and that christ in essence picks us up and gives us his righteousness and takes us to the father that, man that, that's such a neat picture but look at how often did he do this every day this was like his work this is what he did. They would carry him every day and put him where? At this gate of the temple, which, which is called beautiful. This is a picture, at least a depiction of the picture of what this gate would have looked like. You know, this gate was, was on the east end of the temple and it was used to separate the, the court of the Gentiles from the court of the women, but it was so much more than that because really the court of the Gentiles that's on the outside of this gate that, that really wasn't part of the inner circle of the temple, as you might think. Because the Gentiles, they couldn't go through that gate. It was only the Jews that could go through the gate. And once they went through the gate, the women could only go through that first little section, the court of women. And if they wanted to go any further, they couldn't. But then there was another section past that, and you'd keep going west. And the next section was, was, was called the, the court of Israel. And there the men could go to, but if they wanted to go to the next section, only the priests could go to that one because that was the court of the priests. And if you kept following that west, eventually you'd end up at the the sanctuary building, which was inside divided into two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies. But but look at this thing. This was a monstrous gate. It was they say seventy-five feet tall. It was made of of completely of brass or bronze, so it was very, very heavy. It was inlaid with gold and silver, so it was magnificent. Catch your eye. Not only that, everybody who was going to the temple had to go through this juncture, this spot. So he had like prime real estate as far as a beggar goes. But not only that, it was so big and monstrous, it took 20 guys to open and to close that gate. It was something that everybody knew about. And why did he go there each day? For the sole purpose of begging. All this man wanted was to be supported financially in the condition he was in. But do you know what God wanted? He wanted so much more. He wanted to completely change his condition, both physically and spiritually. And that's what we're going to see. As next we, we, we actually see that the question... Or the forming of the question in, in, in verse verse 3. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. To receive alms there is to take with your hands. What's, what's pictured here is, is the idea of... We've all seen it before, right? Somebody with, with a can or a cup holding it out, hoping to get some coins... hoping, wondering if perhaps, maybe, as somebody walks by, that they're going to be gracious to Him. And, and why not? Because they're going into the temple to sacrifice or worship the Lord. So this this was a good spot for Him. And He thinks, oh yes, that's what's going to happen here. But look at what, what happens in verses 4 and 5 as, as we see the, the question quickly disappears. And we go more now into... The healing. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So we we see that Peter was in contrast to what he wanted. Peter was, no, I, I don't have anything to give you. I don't have any silver and gold. And how do you think that that made this man think? No doubt this discouraged him. No doubt this baffled him. It's like, well then why in the world are you you tell me to do this, and yet you want me to look at you, but you're saying that, that you don't have any silver and gold. What? I'm not following you. I'm sure that would be incredibly discouraging. But remember what Peter is thinking is in terms much, much greater than this. So as he fixes his gaze on him. And he expects what? He expects something. He expects that at this time he's going to be given something. No doubt this silver and gold that that Peter now is going to talk about. But can we maybe think about this expectancy, this looking at Peter and thinking he's going to give him something as faith? Trusting that Peter will actually give him something. In essence, isn't that what we do when we trust God? We're expecting God to do something. But think about this. It's it's interesting to note that this man would have just taken the silver and the gold. That's what he wanted. That's what his expectation is. That's all he was thinking about. Just give me the silver and gold and I'm good. That's all that I need. He didn't even recognize that he needed so much more and that what Peter was going to offer him was so much more. How often are we like that? How often do we settle for less than what God actually has in store for us because we sell God short through our lack of faith? That we don't actually see God being able to do that which what we ask Him to do and trust Him and expect that God will do this. But let's look at Peter doesn't give him the option of receiving the gold or the silver. Right? Verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. I, I don't have this for you. Instead, what do I need to do? I, I, I only have this. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Do you think that this man had heard about Jesus? No doubt he had. Do you think that possibly at the beginning, maybe he was just thinking, oh, please. You mean the man that was crucified? You expect me to believe that, but you know what we're going to see in chapter 4 that he actually believed and trusted in Christ. And when Peter approaches him with this, He doesn't approach him on on the basis of his own power or authority. He doesn't say, oh, because I'm one of the apostles, walk. He says, on the basis of this name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. What what he's really doing is he's saying, on on virtue of Christ's character, on virtue of, of, of Christ's power, his authority, you can be healed. In essence, he's releasing the power of Jesus upon this man. And no doubt, Peter had seen Jesus heal time and time and time again. And now what he is doing, in in, in essence, is he's doing just what he saw Jesus do. And he's representing Christ in in this moment. And if, if Christ had been there, this is what Christ would have done. And so what does Peter do? He commands him. He says, walk. Some translations actually add in rise up and walk, such as the ESV or the NIV. And and that's a good translation. It it follows some some ancient manuscripts, but but it's implied, right? In order for you to walk, he's going to have to rise up, he's going to have to stand. But you know what? Peter just doesn't stop there. Look at what he does in in verse 7. The next thing that he does, right after he tells him to walk, And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. That seizing him is to take a a, a firm hold or firm grasp of something with a considerable amount of force. Why? Because he couldn't do this himself. Isn't it interesting here how, how the power was definitely Christ's, but the hand was Peter's? Do you recognize that God wants to use us in spite of us? That, that, that's, that's what the, the word talks about over and over again, using us in spite of us. Man, how many times have we seen Peter stumble? We've seen him stumble all over the place. But now this is a new Peter. This is a Peter who trusts Christ explicitly in everything that he does to the extent where he's going to say this, grab him and trust that yes, you are going to stand up and walk. And then we see what happens. Immediately, not in three weeks, not in a month. Immediately, instantaneously, instantly, right there, right then. His feet. What? His, his feet and ankles are strengthened. Literally, that that means to take an impotent limb and 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 to render it physically firm and strong. You, you can't do this with physical therapy or some sort of surgery. I I, I mean today you could probably give Give them prosthetics, but that's not what this is talking about. This is greater than that. This is strengthening something that was dead. This is giving life to something that was dead. Giving him legs and ankles. This is God at work. And and think about this. This beggar, he didn't have to learn how to walk. It's not like a child learning to walk or or you see a a calf born or or even a baby giraffe where they stumble all around. You don't see any of that. He didn't have to learn how to walk. It was instant coordination. It was instant use of his limbs, which had been dead to him just moments before this. So what we've seen is is what I related to earlier here. We've seen first this was unexpected. This wasn't something that that he came to some sort of meeting expecting this to happen. In fact, he wasn't thinking of anything of the sort. He was only thinking of gold and silver. This was done, what? In the name of Christ. This was done by the power of Christ. We know that for sure. It was instantaneous and immediate. It happened right away. And finally, it was complete. This guy isn't going to become crippled again. It's a done deal. Which only... God could do and as a result what happens total commotion look at look at verse 8 with a leap he stood up and began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God that's just one of the coolest verses in, in scripture a man who could not even move himself is now doing what? He's jumping and leaping and praising God. You, you notice what he's not doing? He, he's not content with merely just walking. <laughs> he's like, no, I want to use what God gave me to the fullest right here, right now. And he attaches himself to the, to the apostles. Instead of running off to go meet his family or go and do this, he attaches himself with the apostles and he follows them. Notice how they weren't helping him in. No doubt somebody probably carried him in. if if he was indeed Jewish before. But what happens? He enters the temple only by God's goodness and the fact that he can now walk. No, he can't just walk. He can jump. And what is he doing? He is praising God. So on the one hand, he's excited about what what he now has, this ability to use his legs, which he's never had before. But then on the other hand, he's also praising God. He's he's giving glory and honor, expressing approval over what God had done for him, in him, to him. No doubt this testimony of him going into the temple like this totally shook up everything that was going on. That's why I've called it the commotion. Once he got in there, I'm sure whatever was happening before, everybody stops. Because he's jumping and he's praising God, he's being loud and obnoxious. Not what you're supposed to do in the temple. And then on top of it all, we're going to see that they knew him. They knew exactly who this guy was. So it didn't make any sense. Look at verses nine and ten. And all the people saw him and walk, saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Just in, in, in this time, in these last couple verses, the word walk or walking is mentioned four times. I, I believe to add to the significance of what was going on. That this man, before this point, he was carried everywhere. Now not only is he walking, he's leaping, and he's jumping, he's praising the Lord. And notice what it says, And they were taking note of him. As what? As the one who used to sit right here. Every day they'd pass by him. And you know what? In Acts chapter 4, we're going to find that, that, he, that he's 40 years old. He's been doing this a long time. He was a permanent fixture there. And think about this with me. If they recognized him, and they all knew who he was, and he'd been there for, well, he's 40 years old, so at least 20, I would think at least half, probably more. How long ago was it that Jesus was actually in the temple? Man, not long at all. So could it be possible that Jesus actually walked by this man? Maybe several times. Could it be that Peter and John actually walked by with this man with Jesus? Yes, I think it's very possible. So why didn't Jesus heal him then? Because that wasn't part of God's sovereign purpose and plan. To invigorate everybody that was going on, to draw this group and to build Christ's church. And to validate the apostles. Isn't God amazing? The way that He orchestrates everything. And then we see their response, right? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to Him. Isn't this very... Haven't we heard this before? This is just what we heard in Acts 2, verse 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? I believe that, that that's what's implied in this. They're trying to figure out what is going on. What does this mean? And next week, we're going to see that Peter stands up and he tells them what exactly this means. That this is about Jesus. Now, in wrapping things up, I, I really don't want anybody to, to walk out this morning believing that, that, that God doesn't work today that just because I'm saying that that this gift of healing that is being exercised and shown through the apostles and again we're going to see this happening through the apostles that just because this ceased with the apostles dying does not mean that God doesn't answer prayer today that God doesn't heal today and I'm sure that if we had time many of us could stand up and give testimony to that right cancer all sorts of things where God is indeed healing today. This is just one example of, of a myriad that, that I, I could share with you from Papua New Guinea. This man's name is Stephen. And by God's grace, he was saved. And then he wanted to take the Gospel to his own people. And so he became a missionary to his own people. But you'll notice that, that as Stephen reads, he has to hold the Bible way up here. That's, that's because one of Stephen's, Stephen's eyes, were, were, it was dead, it was gone. And so he had to always hold the Bible up to his good eye. And yet he was an amazing preacher and teacher. And he finished teaching and 60 people from his own village professed, believed in Christ, were saved. A church was established. He became their pastor. He taught them through the book of Acts. And then when it came time for him to start teaching the book of Romans, he was out walking on top of a log with his wife one morning and he tripped in it and he impaled himself. And, and we were living away from our village at that time in a nearby town and we Had a friend of ours call us on the radio, say, "Hey, can I go in and pick up one of your guys? I heard on the radio and that he needs some help. But you need to tell your guys to take him to the river because this guy had a float plane." So our friend picks up Stephen, and he puts him in his float plane that she always had to carry him on a on a homemade stretcher made out of jungle vines and sticks. They carried him because he could not walk; he was bleeding profusely. We picked him up at the airport, put him in a van, took him to the, to the hospital and they said, oh, we're so sorry. He has an incision 10 millimeters inside that nobody knows how to fix except for three surgeons in Papua New Guinea because he needs a a skin graft. And the idea of him being flown to one of the other hospitals was really tricky, not to mention costly. So we began praying, okay, Lord, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to bring someone to him. So we, we prayed and I'd go down and meet with Stephen. And we'd pray that the Lord would intercede on, on his behalf. And do you know that the Lord brought a doctor and when it came time for him to have a surgery and they opened him up, do you know what size that had shrunk into? From 10 millimeters to one. Actually a little bit below one. And all they had to do was give him just one little stitch and it was done. No skin graft, no nothing. Now if there's any time where you guys could say praise God, you could say praise God right now. <laughs> I mean seriously, praise the Lord. You have no idea how incredibly cool that was. To go there and think that he had to have this great big massive surgery and he greets me and says, oh, they didn't even knock me, they barely knocked me out. They didn't have to do anything. Look, I'm good. And within six to eight weeks he was back preaching Romans. Yes, God still works today through prayers. Amen. (laughs) So what, what, what can we think about this week? Here's some points to ponder. Consider God's power on display. Seen in this miraculous gift. This same God is the God that is at work in and among us today. How does God still reveal His power to heal today and through what means? Number two, the blind beggar was given more than he expected to receive. How have you been given more than you expected by God? And as you consider all the ways that God has given you more than you expected this week, stop and praise Him for His abundant grace. On each of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that even though we were not there, that we were not standing or sitting or even close to that, this gate called beautiful, that we didn't behold all this happening, Lord, that we know and we can accept by faith from Your written Word that it truly indeed happened just as You say that it did happen. And that that same power that was manifested through the words of Peter in Your name, Lord Jesus, that that same power is the power that works in us. Expand our understanding of who You are, God, and change us And draw us nearer to Yourself. And allow us to truly wait with expectancy. Not for gold and silver, but for much more than that. For it's in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.
0: Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.